If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it. We're going to be in John chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 6 through 8. And this morning, we're continuing our new series. We started last weekend in the Gospel of John. And last weekend, we looked at the first five verses by, by looking at the Word. And John told us that the Word, the, the logos in the Greek, was and is Jesus that Jesus is the word of God, that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And so as we move through the text of John chapter one, we're gonna continually see a, a really a building upon the language and the, and the clarity and the importance of who Jesus is. And remember, this is the whole reason I am taking the next two years to preach through the gospel of John. My sincere desire as your pastor to preach through this gospel letter is to show you who Jesus really is. To show you who Jesus really is and for you to know who you are in light of who he is. And so let me tell you, I love the gospel of John. I wrote in a, in a letter to you that, that I longed at, at many times to, to preach through this, but it did not feel like that, that it was yet the time. But John is one of my favorites out of the four gospels. And John really is the go-to gospel that we usually would tell new believers. So in fact, right now, if you're someone who's new to the faith, I would encourage you, read through the gospel of John. It's an incredible portrait of who Jesus is. And really the gospels as a whole are an amazing unity. They're an amazing unity that are, that are different in their approach, but they tell this incredible story. I mean, it's much like in, in music. To make a chord on a guitar, you have to have multiple notes that are together. And this is much like the gospels, that, that each are dis, a, a distinct note that makes up a chord that rings in the unity and the melody of who Jesus is. I mean, it's literally as if the Holy Spirit is the director of a string quartet, where Matthew and Mark and Luke and John are playing the instruments, and the Holy Spirit is the director. And he puts all of those instruments in beautiful harmony together, so the output and the, and the outcome is an awesome score. It's beautiful to listen to, but it takes all four working together in harmony together, blended together to get really a full picture. And so each, each gospel letter is a little bit different. So it's very intentional and very specific as to why we are going through the gospel of John. See, Matthew's gospel was written for the Jewish people. And an often repeated phrase and, and word is fulfilled or the statement, so that it might be fulfilled. We, we find this phrase in the gospel of Matthew because it's written for the Jews. It's to show the Jewish people that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promise to the Jewish nation. And then we come to the gospel of Mark. And the gospel of Mark was written for a Roman audience. It's really a gospel of action. It's, it's short. It's fast. It's about doing. It's about accomplishing. It's about getting the job done. And it has the Roman audience in mind. And then when we get to the gospel of Luke, it's as though he's writing to a Greek audience. 
And the gospel is specifically addressed at one man that Luke is writing to, Theophilus, in chapter one, verse three. And Luke, being a gentle physician, being a a little more exact and a little bit different in his language and, and, and really covering a different angle altogether, speaks about Jesus in his perfect manhood, that he is the son of man. That's how Luke presents Jesus. And really, this is because to the Greek philosophers, the ideal man was often discussed by their philosophers and in their schools. So Jesus was the perfect man, full of compassion, full of love, and full of truth. And then when we get to the Gospel of John, it seems as though the audience is not the Jews. It seems as though it's not the Romans or just the Greeks. It's as though the audience here is the whole world. And in his letter, John presents Jesus probably in the fullest out of all in his character. It speaks of him as the son of God. In fact, he speaks of him as God himself, as God in a human body, as God in human flesh. So in the gospel of Matthew, the focus is on what Jesus said. We have the great discourses in Matthew that are presented. And and then in the gospel of Mark, we have what Jesus did. It's the rapid action. It's the short and fast moving gospel. Words like immediately are used quite often. He did this and then immediately and then and then it moves quickly. And then the gospel of Luke is about how he felt. And in his gospel, Luke features marginalized people over and over. And he constantly shows us how Jesus really engaged with them and how he felt towards them. And so only in in the gospel of Luke do we see the parable of the Good Samaritan in chapter 10 and the story of the 10 lepers being cured and cleansed. And so his gospel letter is a little bit different, which also consists 18 other unique parables that are only found in Luke. Ones like the lost sheep and the prodigal son. And then we get to the gospel of John. We get to the gospel of John and it is about who Jesus was and who Jesus is. See, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what are called the synoptic gospels because they're very similar in their approach. But John is very different in his approach. It's as though Matthew, Mark, and Luke are a snapshot of who Jesus is, but John is a studied portrait. So as we continue in our series, we're we're really looking intently and we're looking directly at who Jesus is. We're really looking at a studied portrait. And so as we come to verses six through eight, we we really learn about the light which John came to bear witness to, that all might believe through him. Again, as we saw in the video at the beginning, this is the heartbeat and this is the aim of the gospel of John, to show you who Jesus is that you might believe. And so as John writes, he's telling us about another John, about John the Baptist, who came to bear witness about who Jesus is. Now, what I'm hoping for us to do this morning as we go to the text is really to look at this through two lenses. That these verses show us about John the Baptist and how he was sent before God and what he bore witness to and and testified to regarding Jesus. 
But also this is an opportunity for us to examine and to learn how we are sent as well how we are to bear witness, how we are to testify that others might believe. That how the ministry of John and then the ministry of Jesus shows us how to go and live out these truths and share these truths. So again, as I shared with you last week, there are really three questions that we can ask of every single text in the gospel of John. And today is one of those times that I believe we really see clearly all three of those questions. I asked you and I encouraged you to keep asking, what does this text say about who Jesus is? What does this text say about who I am? And in light of these truths, how then should I live? So see, as we go to the text, my desire is to really look through the the first lens of how this points us towards who Jesus is what this says about who John was, and then also through that second lens of what this text says about who we are and how we should live. And so as we go to the text, what we're, gonna, what we're going to learn and really apply today in our outline is that we are sent by God that others may believe in the light as we also bear witness to the light. So we're gonna read starting in verse six. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, this text is very important, but it's a very intriguing, intriguing one. It's, it's almost as though John is really interjecting a different point here and then later in verse 15. And so it's almost as you read through it, you almost feel like there's an interruption to the text. But what we know to be true about God is his writing is never unintentional. He writes with great intention. And so in verse six, John writes that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, John is not referring to himself in this verse. So there are two different Johns in this gospel letter that are important for us to know. And the first is the writer of this letter. John, the son of Zebedee, is the first one who wrote this gospel letter. He was one of the disciples with Jesus. He was an apostle. And this meaning he was an eyewitness to the life and the ministry of Jesus. And really, in the Gospel of John, this is the only letter that refers to one of the apostles with the expression, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we see this in chapter 13 and chapter 19 of John. And this disciple is really identified as the eyewitness who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And then second, we see in the text, the other John is John the Baptist. And we really hear first about John the Baptist and and his coming and his birth in Luke chapter one. That his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were were much older when God promised them a a son. And really, John's life did not go the way that things were planned for him. In fact, because John's father was a priest, he really should have followed his father's footsteps and become a priest. But John took a different direction in life, according to the Lord. 
that really for him, he probably took a, a, a Nazarite vow his whole life. He grew his hair long. He, he didn't partake or touch any fruits of the vine like grapes. He, he didn't touch or do anything that would defile him. And, and most importantly, he was separated for God's purpose. But see, before John was born, an angel appeared to Zechariah, to John's father, and told him that his son would be named John. And he also told him that he would do great things for the kingdom of God. And later when Elizabeth was pregnant with John, about six months pregnant, she went to go visit Mary, Jesus's mother. And as, he, as she came to visit her, John was leaping in his mother's womb at hearing Mary's voice. And we see this later in Luke chapter one. And then when John was born, his name was supposed to be Zachariah after his father. It was very common to name your son in this way, but God had other plans. In Luke chapter one, verse 60, Elizabeth responds with saying, no, he shall be called John. And Zachariah really yielded to the Lord and he wrote on a tablet, his name is John. It's quite an intriguing story if you go back and you read in Luke chapter one about the the life of John and the whole way in which God is at work. And then in verse 66 of John chapter one, the people that are seeing all of this, they see the exchange of John's naming and they see God's hand at work. They respond with an, an incredible question that is asked in verse 66 of Luke chapter one. It says, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. That's a really good question. What then will this child be? See, in our text, we see the fulfillment of the people's question. In John chapter one, verse six, the son of Zebedee writes that John the Baptist was sent from God. Now, the Greek word here for sent is apostello. And the idea of sent in this text and in this language is to dispatch with a purpose. So John was sent with a purpose from God. See, church, what we need to understand is that we serve a saving and sending God. That even when we don't see it, even when we don't know it at times, he is still at work. I mean, if you remember back from our series in Malachi in chapter four in the last two verses that we looked at, God made a promise to Israel in the Old Testament. He told them, he said, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Now, remember what God is promising here in Malachi is fulfilled in John the Baptist. This is who God has sent with a promise to fulfill it. See, in Luke chapter one, if we look at what the angel is telling John's father, he is telling him about his son being sent from God. He says in verse 16 through 17 in Luke chapter one, he says, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Who? Elijah. What did God promise in Malachi? Who would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah? Or in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He says it's to turn 
They're the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is John's purpose, why he is sent by God. It is to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord and to turn their hearts towards him. And so let me tell you, if you read further on, you will see that John's ministry is one that is marked by preparation and repentance. That John was sent by God. He was dispatched with a great purpose. This is the life that John lived, who came to testify to the truth of who Jesus is. And so just for a moment, let me ask you, What's the purpose that God has dispatched you for? What's the purpose that God has dispatched you for? See, this goes beyond John. This this continues to us in this aspect. See, another time we hear this word sent, also using apostello, is in John 17, verse 18, when Jesus prayed, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now, and I'll think about this for a moment because all of us are sent. All of us are sent. All of us are dispatched with a purpose. So what is the purpose that God has dispatched you for? See, as we look at the life of John, his life was marked by a promise that God was going to use him to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. Listen, that's a really big deal because the way Malachi ends is not an exciting aspect of this will come. Listen, God says this is going to come, but the the alternative is destruction. So it's a big deal that John has come, that he is doing this ministry that he is effectively understanding who God is and that he is sent by him for a purpose. See, church, we're sent by God to continue to testify and bear witness to who Jesus is and what he alone has done for us on the cross. This is the incredible thing that God uses us and he used John so that others might believe. He has no need to do this, but he chooses to do this. And so this is the goal of John's ministry, that he really preached and he pointed people to the truth that they might believe. See, in verse seven, we see further regarding John the Baptist that he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now, there's an important distinction in the text. John is not bearing witness that others would believe in him. In fact, if you know much about John, he doesn't seem to care about what you think of him or if you know him or any of those details but that you would believe in the light through him. So remember that the light that is referenced here is the word, the logos. It's Jesus. And in verse five that we looked at last week, John showed us that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. 
Now think about that for a moment. What does light do? Think about this from a practical aspect because there's many reasons and many ways in which we use light. I mean, imagine for, for example, what this service would feel like if it was pitch black in this room. Light carries an important purpose. And so we see some of the aspects of light that are important. That, that first, light reveals what's in front of us. I mean, think about it. If, if we were here in a dark room, if you're in a dark room, you don't know where you are. You can't see anything. You are unaware of even where the light is. I mean, if you've watched anyone try to go in a dark room, they're kind of looking around. They're not aware. Even if you know, like you know where the light switch is, you're pretty sure, but you just don't know. That, that's the interesting thing about someone in the dark. And so the light really reveals what's in front of us. But in the dark, you're, you're unable to, on your own, just shine in the darkness. But see, when the light shines in the darkness, it reveals what's in front of us. And then also we see that light really exposes the darkness. As the light reveals, it also exposes. And light is used to show us also what is, what's out of order and what is wrong. I mean, much like a, a light in a mechanic shop or a light in an operating room, these lights are used to expose what was once in the dark that needs to be exposed so it can be corrected or it can be addressed. And also we see that light directs us on the right path. We all know this to be true, especially those of us who've driven at night or we've gone on an evening walk. I mean, you, you turn, when you're driving, you turn your headlights on. You take a, a flashlight with you on an evening walk. And why? Why do we do these things? Because these things direct us on the right path. Because without them, we would be lost and we would just remain in the dark. Now see, all of these things are true of Jesus. All of these things are true of Jesus. This is why John is telling us he is the light. That Jesus reveals what is in front of us. Jesus exposes the darkness and he directs us on the right path. That he is the light that shines in the darkness. And so John has come to point people towards the truth that Jesus is the light that Jesus is the light that shines in our darkness. And so John is sent by God to testify to this that all might believe. Because see, before Christ and without Christ, we are darkness. And, and hear me rightly in that. We are, it's not that we're in, but we are. See, what we looked at last week when we talked about light and darkness is that in Ephesians 5, 8, Paul tells us that for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What was the darkness? You and I were. No one else and nothing else can bring light into the darkness of your life. See, before Christ, this is the state that you and I were in. We were in darkness. 
before Christ and without Christ, we're really stumbling along in the darkness of our own sin, going down our own path. And this is the state we're in because of sin. But this is not the state that God desires us to stay in. So he comes as a great light to invade our darkness, to shine in it. So think about this for a moment. God comes personally and intentionally stepping down in flesh so that you and I would no longer be separated from him him and stranded in our own darkness. And as he comes in the person and the work of Jesus, he shares the light and displays it. He lays down his life that we would be able to receive it. He gives us his own life to settle the offense of our darkness by giving himself. That in this, all of the death and all of the shame, all of the sin and the condemnation that we deserve went to Jesus. That as we receive him, all of the forgiveness, all of the love, all of the grace that Jesus rightfully has as the sinless son of God comes to us. And so this is why Paul says in this verse of Ephesians 5 eight, but now you are light in the Lord. So let me tell you, dear friends, there is no sin too great and no crime so wicked that cannot be forgiven by the cross of Christ. I mean, this is something that is not even on our own doing. I mean, remember, as we look at the concept of being in darkness, it's, it's as though we're searching every area of our life. We have this tendency and this longing to just be searching. And it's not that you got to the light. It's that God came in the person and work of Jesus Christ and flipped on the switch. So it's not about your attempt to be righteous. It's about you choosing to believe in Jesus and rest in his righteousness. So listen, I I don't know what enslaves you. I don't know what, what masters you. I don't know what rules over you or that you have hidden in some deep, dark corner hoping no one else is gonna find out about. But listen, I can tell you that what is true is that Jesus has come to set you free from the darkness to set you free from the darkness and bring you into his light. See, what this text shows us over and over and over again is that Christ met the deepest need of mankind. That while we were still sinners, while we were still in the darkness, Christ died for us. That he brought light. So when we put our faith in Christ, we are no longer in darkness no, we are no longer considered darkness. We are light. In fact, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, we are children of light. So let me ask you a really important question before we just move on. What are you doing with Jesus? What are you doing with Jesus? What are you believing about Jesus right now? See, as John 
bore witness to the light, to Christ. What's true of John's ministry is that not all who hear this and know this will believe. There are those who are going to reject the light. They will not receive in faith that the light has come to shine in the darkness. In fact, really, they're going to want nothing to do with the light. They want to be their own light source. They want to choose their own light method. So they reject what they need to truly and eternally overcome the darkness. So what are you doing with Jesus? What are you believing about Jesus right now? See, what is true about Jesus when we believe in him, it's that he alone is the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness has not and it will not overcome him. So church, what are you doing with Jesus? What are you believing about Jesus right now? See, in verse eight, we see a distinction between the the witness, John, and the light, Jesus. It says, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So John is the witness, but he is not Christ. And and later in the chapter, we're gonna see some clarity where John really flushes this out in in a group of pharisaical types. But here, this speaks of desire for people to be pointed towards the true light, which is Jesus. See, so far what we learn about John the Baptist, the the witness is that he longs for no accommodation, no fame. That John's entire life, from the moment in the womb when he encounters Christ, he jumps with joy. From that moment to the end of his life, he seeks to make much of Christ. This is the entire focus of John. So the evangelist gives this focus and this aim in all of his life that the brightness and the glory and the illuminating work is Christ, the true light. He doesn't want anyone to neglect Christ. He doesn't want anyone to miss Christ. And so really he doesn't want anyone to look upon him with glory and brightness. He just wants them to see the true light. That his desire is to point people toward the true light. And as we'll continue to see from the life of John, he's one who is sent by God that others might believe as he bears witness about the light. See, in the second half of verse eight, it says that he came to bear witness about the light. This is now the third time that John the Baptist has been referenced as witness or one who bears witness. And see, the matter of witness is a serious thing In this case, it's one who is establishing truth and giving ground for faith. Yet witness also does more. Really, witness commits a man. I mean, for example, if I was to take my stand in a witness box and testify that Jesus and Jesus alone is the truth and the light, I'm no longer neutral. I have committed myself I throw out 
every other religion, every other idea, every other stance, that there is any other way other than Christ. I'm no longer neutral. I have committed myself. So John is telling us over and over and over again, this witness, John the Baptist, has committed himself to Christ for the sake of those that might believe. See, church, there's a great lesson and message for us here that we are also called to be witnesses that are not neutral, but are committed. It's of great importance for us. I mean, even faith comes by hearing a witness. And so we are called to be these type of witnesses in the world. But let me just give you a warning. We never are to make much of ourselves. We need to be careful in our witness to not make much of ourselves, but seek to make much of Christ. So beware. We need to beware of the, of the witness that needs attention for himself. We need to beware of the type of, of witnesses, the type of preachers who constantly put these angles to put themselves in a good light where they'll just return again and again and again to their own achievements. We need to be cautious towards and aware of the witnesses that are, are preoccupied with themselves, even when they speak of their own flaws. We need to be cautious about being the, the type of witnesses where our own bent and our own love is towards the praise of man over the sending call of God on our lives. See, remember from the very beginning of John's gospel, that there's a human witness to the light. And now today, it's us. Those of us who have repented and received Christ are now witnesses to the light. And church, let me tell you, to be witnesses, we must commit ourselves. That to bear witness about the light is a public confession. It's taking a stand to boldly proclaim the truth. It's not remaining neutral. So let me come back to that question. What, what are you doing with Jesus? What are you believing about Jesus right now? See, if Christ has sent you, then it means that he has saved you. And if that is true, then what are you doing with Jesus? We are called to be witnesses just as John was a witness. We need to have a desire for people to be pointed toward the truth, toward the true light that is Jesus. And church, that means going public with our faith. That means committing ourselves to share the truth. That means standing in the box and saying, I'm not gonna be neutral. I'm going to be committed to Christ. This is really the, the, the simple formula of evangelism that we see in the life of John the Baptist. It's not standing on a corner holding a sign. It's not handing out a track, throwing them into a crowd. It's not posting the hard-hitting Bible verses on social media and telling people to change. It's making known that apart from and without Christ, we are nothing. Nothing. 
we are lost and remaining in darkness, but that through faith in him alone, we have everything because we have the light. That we have witnessed the light. We have seen its power. And we know that the cross of Christ and the life of Christ are not just historical moments, but life-changing truths that through faith in him alone, the light shines in the darkness. The light shines in our darkness. So we bear witness. We confess and we share and we testify to who he is because he has sent a messenger before us who has shared these great truths. See, church, these are really the two lenses of the text. That as we look at John the Baptist, he was one who was sent by God that others may believe in the light as he bore witness to the light. And now as we see, we are, we are sent by God that others may believe in the light as we also bear witness to the light. So church, as we come to a close this morning, I wanna ask you to consider this question. Do you believe and bear witness to the light? Do you believe and bear witness to the light? And if, and if you say yes, then, then I would ask you further, are you a witness? Are you truly witnessing? What are you doing with Jesus? And if not, then no longer stumble in the darkness. So church, as we come to a close in this time, I just wanna encourage you to keep pressing in to these truths and asking, do I believe and bear witness to the light? Let's pray.